I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Kristen, and you're listening to the Think Inclusive Podcast. Recording from my office in beautiful Marietta, Georgia, you are listening to the Think Inclusive Podcast, episode 20. Today we have Kirsten Weens, an educator from British Columbia, Canada, and creator of North Star Paths, an online resource that has stop-motion animation, videos, and other beautiful visuals to help educators understand students with disabilities. We talk about the creation of North Star Paths and what is next for Kirsten and her outstanding illustrations. After the podcast, please visit patreon.com backslash thinkinclusivepodcast, where you can support our goal to bring you in-depth interviews with inclusive education and community advocacy thought leaders. Also, you can help other people find us by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the Think Inclusive Podcast. So without further ado... Here is the interview. I would like to welcome Kristen Weens to the Think Inclusive podcast. Kristen is a inclusion coach uh, in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, she is also the creator of North Star Paths, a website with blog posts, stop motion videos, and illustrations promoting inclusion, universal design for learning, self-regulation, and mindfulness. She is the author of My Gratitude Jar, a children's book where a boy named Jacob learns the value of gratitude. And most recently, she works for the children's entertainer Rafi, designing an online course in graphics promoting his child-honoring philosophy. Uh, Kristen, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, So I think there's a lot to talk about. Um, I first um, really became aware of your work, I think, through Twitter, and it feels like it feels like a long time ago. Um, and I remember specifically the image. Um, it, it was called Behavior is Communication. And it, you had uh, there was this large iceberg that uh, <clears throat> you could only see the, the, uh, the top of. 
and uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna butcher it by trying to describe the, <laughs> the image, uh, but I just remember how powerful it was because when I showed the image to the colleagues that I that I work with, um, they said, "Oh, that is really powerful. That uh, that makes a lot of sense. That there's a lot of stuff underneath what we can see as far as behavior." Um, and you listed a few things under there. So. Um, so I'm very excited to to finally talk with you and and uh, have your thoughts about inclusion and inclusive education. Um, so to get us started, why don't you tell us um, a little bit about North Star Paths and and kind of why you created it? Okay. Um, so the graphics in that one you referenced is one of the first that we did. They are created almost out of desperation, that's too strong of a word, but I'm passionate about inclusion and I work with other teachers and I was always looking for the best way to communicate and share ideas with teachers because I believe once you understand more about inclusion, you're way more motivated and enthusiastic about finding ways to include students in your classroom. But teachers are busy and and have a lot of demands on their time, and so I was looking for efficient ways to get big concepts across to them, and so graphics came out of that need, and it's interesting, one of my passions within inclusion is visuals, and I realized there was an irony of me talking so much about using visuals, and I thought, I need to, I need to do that myself, I need to create visuals that will help teachers see what I'm talking about with these big concepts, and what I love about the the graphics are, they're really big ideas on one page, and so I think they're less threatening and less intimidating for people to look at. So as I started making more of those, I decided I needed a place to share them and really wanted to share them with more than just my school district. So the North Star Pass website came out of that. And also with the, we have the paper graphics, but there's also a growing body of long, um, long story shorts stop motion videos and so that was our YouTube channel came out of that and also the website was a place to house those um, videos so it's just uh, a passion of mine I do it all outside of my regular work and what I love about it is creativity has always been a part of my life and I didn't make a lot of time for it because I was more passionate about inclusion and when the two came together it was just like the most wonderful thing that happened to me. And so now I can pour my passion into inclusion and have that creative part of me um, happy as well. I, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure I, that finding that um, uh, where where your interests and passions meet uh, and being able to share that, I think that's, I think that's extremely gratifying. Um, <laughs> and, <clears throat> and as an educator, I, I can appreciate um, you wanting to, share the big ideas but not really knowing how to share those big ideas uh, uh, without you know finding another way than just talking um, I think that's a big um, that's a struggle for me and that's why I appreciate your your graphics and illustrations so much I've actually used um, your long story shorts videos in my own presentations uh, now that mm. I do trainings for my for my school district so it's it's uh, definitely powerful now so for your inclusion coach job um, yeah. 
in your in in uh, British Columbia. Um, were were you a teacher before and then kind of moved into that position, or yeah. um, um, so can do you mind talking a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I guess sure. let me how long you were how long you've been a an educator. Yeah, so um, I actually, if you go back further enough, and I started my um, my journey working in group homes um, here in in Canada. It was right around the time when institutions were being um, shut down, and and individuals with disabilities were being moved into community homes, and so that was actually in my my late teens. From and that just um, that idea. It was so respectful. I mean, as if you go even further back, I would volunteer with a church group going into those institutions and providing music and just um, some social opportunities for people who were in institutions. So I saw that firsthand at a very young age. And as much as it was wonderful for us to be doing that volunteer component, there just seemed something to be wrong about this the institutional setting, even from a from a young person's point of view. So I became um, involved with work in a, a group home setting, and that, I think, just set the path for me as far as that would become my life's work. The first um, role within education was as an educational assistant. I worked with um, students who were deaf and hard of hearing and loved that role, and it was largely one-on-one -on -one in classrooms. But after a while, I, I got kind of um, to the point that I was in that setting, and I finally went, I want to be the teacher now. So I went back to school, became a, a teacher, and right away found myself in um, we called the role here integration support teacher. Um, so I started my career teaching in that role, and that was mostly in a high school setting. And from there, I moved into at the time what we called life skills in a middle school, and that was the most rewarding experience for me. So I was supporting. Um, about 20 students in, in a middle school setting in, um, in our attempts for integration. So at times they were with me in the classroom, in my classroom, and at other times they were integrated fully into um, other classrooms, often in elective settings. And that was like great training ground for me. I learned so much in that atmosphere and, and loved that job. And from there, I was asked if I would move into a district position, which started out being called a curriculum coordinator, and now we call ourselves inclusion coaches. And that's a role which is district-wide, so I can be called into any classroom from kindergarten to grade 12 in our district to help teams who are supporting individuals with disabilities. So it's um, a step back, but again, that's sort of this where a lot of these resources have been born mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. I'm now supporting teachers. And so now it, it's actually, it was, it's quite a, a significant shift because as a teacher in the classroom, I just knew my beliefs and I could put them into play. And now the roles shifted because I, I see and my heart breaks for a lot of these teachers who are supporting individuals in their classroom, but don't kind of have the philosophical underpinning or the convic conviction of the heart to say, yes, yes, this is hard, but I, I believe this so much that I'm, I'm doing it. And so 
my role now is to support those teens, and I don't know that it would be my direct role to kind of educate in the bigger pictures, but just as a person, I feel that's what I want to do, and I, I think it's a more rewarding job for all educators if we are on that same page and if we know why we're doing things. I think it's easier to to follow through with them because it's a really hard job. It, indeed, indeed. Uh, do you feel like... Um... I guess what do you feel like is the biggest challenge for teachers who are put into a, a situation where there are students who are included in their class, let's say they're you know general curriculum teachers, um, and they have students who are working well below grade level, and they don't have that philosophical, the, already the philosophical belief that they belong in that class maybe they feel like they should be somewhere else um you know uh how do how do you breach that barrier um yeah it's a i mean that's a a tough one and again i mean there's so many angles to answer that question one of the, the key things that i think has become come more into the forefront for me in the in more recent years, and I think it be, I hope it helps me be more effective um, in supporting teachers, kind of as you've described. And for me, the shift has been, I think I come from a way more compassionate place now um, because I, I really understand that, that that's hard. And if you, if you actually don't even agree with inclusion, which there are teachers who, who won't, that's a hard place to to um, to be to come to work every day because in BC it's it's not a choice, and so there's that rub between what you believe and what you're being told you need to do, and so I think one of the the big barriers is just that philosophical shift. Can we have our um, people who are supporting our students have a shift and really come from a, a different place, from that place of yeah, this is the right thing to do. But if you remove that kind of big umbrella piece, I think the struggles are probably the same across our continent, at least, that there's, it's really hard with um, a lack of resources, whether that's things like um, um, flexible seating and, and opportunities for mo- equipment for movement, or if that's people, educational assistance in the classroom, um, or even just time. Time would be a big one. Time to collaborate and plan. Um, all of those things, I, I think, are universal barriers that we're in inclusion that we're up against a lot of the time. Uh, definitely, everything that you've just said is are are things and the barriers that um, are are very real for the educators that I speak with, um, and. And so you know, you have educators who really that do have this philosophical foundation that you know all children should <clears throat> have access to the general curriculum, uh, whether or not they, they you know uh, they're able to keep up or not. But um, it's it's definitely difficult to put that into practice when, like you said, the resources are slim um, mm. and um, and not only, you know, are the resources, there's, there's other expectations other than just, um, access to curriculum. You have, you know, all the other, 
testing yeah. and accountability requirements. And, um, so it's, a, it's a very difficult place. Um, yeah. To- and you know, just on that note, um, we've just recently started a new process in our district that it's still kind of in the, the pilot stage and we're really, um, liking it. We, we call it KIPP, C-I-P-P, creating inclusive plans with purpose. And, it it came out of, in our roles as inclusion coaches, we found that we were often going, called out to schools, um, gave recommendations, left the school, called back for the same thing with the same students sometimes, or at the very least, the same sort of issues with different students. So the, the knowledge wasn't being transferred to um, other students. And our big push now is trying to build capacity within all of the team members, which is really hard to do, like we say, without um, the time or motivation or to, to concentrate on that. And so we switched it, and we are at now inviting teams to come to us. Um, we happen most of the time it's at our board office in our boardroom, and we have the teams come in with one child in mind that they want to support, and then we take two afternoons that we carve out the time, and so, again, we supply the money to release the teachers, which is a big deal, they come. We try to have a classroom teacher as well as our integration teacher there, sometimes educational assistants as well. And we spend the time doing two things, going over the big ideas that we think are important and in between each of the sections of big ideas. So, for instance, behaviors communication is one of our big ideas. We talk about that, but then we give time to plan specifically for that student. And we call them um, the wonder child. And I'm taking that from a colleague, Maureen Dockendorf, who talks about um, our language being really important. And so instead of saying that child that won't learn, that child we can't get to, that behavior child, can we call them the wonder child as in, I wonder how we can connect with this child. I wonder how we can plan for this child. I wonder how, what's motivating this child. So we ask them to plan for that wonder child based on the big ideas. So we talk about behavior as communication, and then we say, with your wonder child, what, do you, what are they communicating? How are they communicating that with behavior? Oh, when they bolt out of the classroom, what is that telling you? What happened just before? What happened earlier in the morning? And then we talk about visuals, the big idea, and give them time. And the thing that is, we've had really exciting responses from this, and the thing that comes up over and over again is thank you for the time. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's interesting because we often talk a lot about um, lack of resources, being people or things. And I, I'm wondering now how much those complaints would go down. They're still going to be there. I, I don't want to sound like I know I wish we had more people and more things and more money. But I think we undervalue the just the time that people need to think through and plan and feel supported because that's the biggest thing out of these two afternoon meetings is Thank you for the time to talk about this and plan. And teachers are leaving with a new excitement. And even within these two afternoons, they're leaving saying, oh, well, they've come planning for Johnny, and they're leaving saying, I think maybe Susie could use this too. And so all these things that we were trying to do for so long are kind of happening in a much shorter period of time, but it's really honoring the the need that we all have to sit with information, to, to process, and to and to plan purposefully. And so it's exciting, and I I wonder how much we all can learn from that. Um, Yes, we need more people. Yes, we need more resources. But really important is the time to plan. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. Everything that you're saying is, it's really resonating with me. Um, because <clears throat> as, as I'm sure that your district is, well, you're spread thin, you know, yeah. um, I'm sure you get a lot of referrals and a lot mm-hmm. of, um, requests to come out to help with certain situations or students. And there is just not enough time <laughs> to, mm-hmm. uh, adequately address. But I, I love what you said about, about taking the time with a particular school, um, and focusing on, on one, um, one child, one student, uh, and not just for, you, you know, a one hour, but like, a, you know, a, a long-term process, not, not, you know, not hugely long-term, but a couple afternoons where you really, um, have a deep dive into the supports for that student and, mm-hmm. and that it's outside of a, uh, you know, um, and yeah, I, I, I can't remember what in Canada, do you call them IEPs in Canada as well? Like the meetings yeah. for the students? Yeah, outside of that. And interesting, even I think it's important that it's outside of the school building. Because yes. we sometimes have meetings in the school building. Even if we carved out that same amount of time, then it's actually extremely telling about how uh, how demanding the job is. Because we, we have um, teachers on call come in. We release the teachers. And yet still, how many times do you get a knock on the door? We need you right away. They say, oh, no, I know, but we need you. And their teachers are being pulled out of the meeting. So... Even I think the the significance of we're removing you from your school building, saying this is important enough that we want you to be able to focus just on this. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, yeah. Well, this is great. I'm learning so much. I, I really appreciate. I really appreciate your time. <laughs> oh, well, I. I I love talking about this. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. Um, uh, so, uh, I wanted to ask you about um, the the differences because I know that you have uh, that you talk about self regulation as far as in um, in the the content that you produce for North Star Paths, and uh, and th- even thinking back to that behaviors communication graphic that that you did. Um, I know that some people that are more on the applied behavioral analysis side will look at that graphic and go, no, 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 no. That is completely wrong. (laughs) Like, um, like there's no research to back that up. You know, we have the four basic functions of behavior, you know, we, and you described a student that, uh, was, um, eloping from his or her class you know, that must have been, uh, you know, either to get attention, to have escape or avoidance, to access something or, uh, you know, self-reinforcing sensory need. Um, how, how do you, do you feel like the, the two, the self-regulation and, and behavior analysis, can they, can they coexist or are we talking about two separate ways of looking at behavior? Um, I I think they could, and I have to confess that I have limited experience with with ABA just because of the path that our district has taken and the experiences I have had. So I'd be delighted, actually, to have that conversation with with somebody. But just just on the surface, I would, for me, I, I think they would coexist because those needs, say the sensory need, 
for me, it would fall under a biological need, and you would still look at that, um, the, the needs that from an ADA perspective would be identified. I think that, I think I could fit them within the, the domain. So the domains on the iceberg that I have listed, there's five, biological, emotional, social, pro-social, and cognitive. They all come from Stuart Shanker's work, um, and he has established the Merit Center here in Canada, and his um, approach is called self-reg. And so it's obviously about self-regulation, and it, but it's a very specific approach. And there is, um, he points to a lot of research and a growing body of research. So he has, that's a marvelous website to look to. So if I actually went into that conversation beforehand, I would be looking at that research again. But if somebody was interested, that's where I'd point them as far as the research behind um, what I'm looking at as um, far as self-regulation is is concerned and so for me i would i think that i could easily say yeah that those are the the motivators through an aba lens and i see them working here too the the common ground i believe would be too that we're when we're supporting students in schools that behavior is seen by others as unexpected behavior that tip of the iceberg and so um, whatever is below the iceberg, whatever you're calling it, is what we want to start looking at um, as far as that detective work of, so how can we find a replacement behavior? How can we um, support the student to be more regulated in the classroom? Um, so I think the approaches are somewhat similar. Um, and I, I know actually if you go deeper, there's going to be some rub um, philosophically what um, how you're approaching it, but on a surface level, I think that there would be some commonalities as far as we see unexpected behavior and our desires try to try to explain it and then support that student to be able to um, go from a maladaptive strategy to a more adaptive strategy. Yeah, I, I definitely see how there can be some, some overlap. Um, and <clears throat> while I'm more familiar with the, um, I guess, uh, the ABA lens at looking at behavior. I certainly am not, you know, married to, uh, you know, the, that being the only way to look at behavior. Um, fortunately I have the freedom to do that because I'm not, I'm not a a board certified behavior analyst. (laughs) So, uh, if you, if, uh, because if you were, you, you really do have to, like, that is your worldview. Um, so, and you, you have to, um, you kind of have to see and practice in that particular way. Um, but like I said, I've got a little bit more flexibility. So when I, when I saw your graphics and, and, um, and the, about self-regulation, I, that's definitely something that I'm interested in. And I, um, I, I encourage anyone who's listening to go ahead and go on um, self-reg uh, Stuart Schenker, right? Um, it, to learn more about that, because that's something that I definitely want to um, to utilize within my own strategies. So um, I wanted to talk about the, the path process. Um, yeah. And I believe that path is... 
is uniquely Canadian. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. Yes, and and Path um, is. I don't know if it's in the same kind of umbrella uh, of making action plans. Is that is that the same type of thing? Yeah, it is. I I think, and there's a little bit of confusion. I believe, and I could be wrong here, but so um, Path and a process called Maps were designed here in Canada, um, Jack Pierpoint, and uh, I think it's Marsha Forrest. I'm forgetting the other name. Uh, that, again, sounds, that sounds correct, yes. Okay, and they travel. Um, the, Jack still continues to travel internationally teaching this. Um, and so maps, I believe, that's associated with paths is different than the maps that you're talking about. There's the McGill action planning and the making action plans that they're somewhat separate because the path and map process, um, they do, or I do paths, and there is a map process that we are trained in, and I think it's different, but it might be similar to the making action plans. Does making action plans, is that a graphic recorded process as well? Um, I believe so, um, although um, I was introduced to maps, I think, through the McGill action plan system, so... Uh, which didn't have to be graphically organized, although you certainly could. Uh, the ones that, that I've used with families have been uh, a series of questions uh, that you go through. What are your dreams and hopes for this student? Um, you know, what are your fears or, I guess, nightmares? And then it goes on to what a, um, what a typical day looks like for that student. Um, I, have, I don't have the, the process memorized because it's been a while, but... Okay, so they sound similar, and so the maps that um, that went when you're talking about paths and maps, um, and paths, the acronym there was planning alternative tomorrows with hope, and when I was did the training, maps was just maps, like as in we're making a map, and the difference between those two things, and it sounds similar to the one you're talking about, that path is um, looking into the future about your dreams and hopes. First, it's an eight-step process, and that North Star, that's actually where the North Star was motivated. They talk about that North Star dreaming in the first step. Um, they, they look, and it's, it's anchored in where the individual wants to be, and there's no um, limitations there. They can just dream really big. And then you come back from there, and you start planning step-by-step, um, how if you were moving towards your North Star dream, what would be things you need to strengthen? Who would be people to invite on that journey? Where might you be? And then you get more specific in, in a year and six months and you have action plans. Whereas the maps that they teach, they go back into the history of the person first to identify strengths that are there. Um, and they also identify the nightmares, things that maybe haven't... Um, that have been struggles, and then make a plan to move forward. So they're, they're similar in a way as far as you're really identifying strengths and dreams and isolating strengths and challenges in a very systematic way. The path moves forward into the future um, and anchors in the dreams, and the maps in this process is about the strengths that you can find in a person's history. We have chosen to do paths in our district because we use it, um, and I think either could be effective, but we just chose one to concentrate on. And we use it mainly with individuals in grade 11 and 12 who will be transitioning into community support. 
because we found that that was a big gap that um, um, not a very nice analogy that I have used because that's how it felt was it felt like in, in our education system we were bringing them and supporting them and up this kind of mountainy cliff and then when we got to the edge it almost felt like we were just pushing them off the edge of the cliff because they weren't ready for what was um, there in the community the support tended to be less than them what we had for them and families and individuals were quite um, shocked by in that, during that transition they, it, they just didn't feel prepared and so we went looking for something that would help us with those plans and found path and so we use that as a way to say what is the future and what do we need to have in place in order for this transition and for you to be able to continue to follow your your goals and dreams into the future and so that's how we started using um, paths, and it's just been the most incredible process, um, so rewarding, and it's a two-hour process. I, I don't know any other process that gets so much richness in planning and honors a student and their family and supports them so well than this one. Um, it's been a really incredible thing for us to add to our district. Um, are you... Are you, are you the one who uh, does the illustrations? <laughs> I am the graphic facilitator, generally, um, for two reasons. It is my passion, and I find actually as more and more people are a bit more familiar with some of the work I, I do in graphics, they, I think they hesitate to pick up the pen, which is too bad because we actually do path training as well, and I I do the training for the graphic facilitators and I, I love the philosophy there because we say it's not about art you don't have to be an artist it's about mark making if you put a mark on that paper that that connects with the the person you're planning for then you've done your job it's just about trying to put a visual representation of to remind them of the conversation so that's um, very difficult for some people people have a lot of a fixed mindset, a critical mind about their artistic ability. So it's it's actually quite a joy to to spend an afternoon with people, getting them to to doodle and explore that, and they're quite happy when I can say, you know what, I can get you to draw a bicycle in five easy, easy moves, and and it's quite <laughs> exciting. Um, and and my paths, I mean, it's it's real time graphics. They're um, they're colorful and fun, and and. I do a fine job, but it's nothing like the graphic work where you get to do revision after revision. And so they're very, they're, they're separate processes. But it's interesting that the when I went and got the path training, uh, I just fell in love with the graphic recording. I'd always been a little bit of a, a doodler, and creativity was always part of my life. My dad actually is a graphic um, artist and and a cartoonist and beautiful watercolor artist. So I grew up surrounded by creativity. And it just it got a hold of me when I did, took this training, that graphic recording, and I started doodling more and more and more. And it was like an invitation to put more creativity into my life. So a lot of what I'm doing now I know um, stems from the excitement of that graphic recording. And again, like that was the first kind of marriage of my creative love and my love of inclusion meeting them thought, oh look at that possibility and if you look back actually the first long story short stop motion animation we did was on uh, universal design for learning and i did that as um, an assignment in when i was doing my master's degree and i'd always wanted to do a little bit of 
stop motion. I thought, oh, here's the time. And if you look back at the graphics, they're, they're very much kind of a, a path-inspired graphic. They're um, much more basic, very simple, not a lot of color in there. And so you can see the influence of the path and the graphic recording in that first long story shorts. And from there, I kind of got excited and thought, oh, I don't need to limit it to, to that. And, and our more recent ones actually are involve more cut paper and, and more detailed illustrations. But the, the, the root of it came from that graphic recording that was inspired from the path process. So I'm really grateful for that. Uh, definitely. Um... Uh, yes, I have seen the I have seen the growth in the in the videos, and I've really enjoyed. <laughs> I've definitely seen. Uh, uh, I have enjoyed seeing that, and um, I'm hopeful for, I guess, what is coming next. So let me ask you, what what do you see as far as uh, North Star Paths? Uh, what what vision do you have for that in the in the future? Um. Well, a few few things this is like I have once you become a path facilitator I think you start thinking through that so I have so many doodles of, in my journals of a path and what do I want to do and where do I want to be with this and so some of the things that come to mind um, definitely more um, stop-motion videos we're actually recording one uh, this weekend that will be out soon and it's the first time we are doing um, one for somebody else it's based on uh, Karen Copeland's blog she has um, Champions for Community Mental Wellness. I think I said that right, her um, organization. And so she approached us to ask us to, to do one. And it's been a really wonderful process and learning process. And it's the topic is to start with strength, so it totally fits with um, our philosophy. Uh, I don't know that we'll do collaborations like that any time in the near future just because of the demands on time uh, i do the stop motion with my partner paul who um is not an educator not involved in this field we both have our our day job so to speak and so the time that it's taking is um i, I think well, i think oh that will be a great retirement job so that <laughs> i think will stick to a lot to stop motions that are kind of more based on the work that i do personally so that was great learning. I'm learning so much as I go. I've also been approached to do um, graphics for a few different people's books and um, publications, so that's exciting. I'm doing a little bit of um, experimenting with some stuff for the uh, Merit Center and Self-Reg with one of their new publications coming out, so I don't know where that will go, but uh, doing graphics with them has been really rewarding. The graphics... Um, it's easier to do in collaboration with someone because it's not as involved as the filming process. So I could see more collaborations with the graphics with other people. And then another thing that's um, increasing in my life right now is, is speaking at conferences and things. And so um, I, I'm really enjoying that. Again, I have such a desire to help build capacity in, in other um, teachers. Uh, and conferences are great places as far as they've carved out a bit of time I know the efficacy of having a speaker come in and go is, is not that great, but I, I hope it's a, a one small part of a longer plan for districts to build capacity. So I'm, I'm liking accepting those invitations, and I'm, I'm moving forward. I'm creating my workshops around the visuals. And so, for instance, uh, next month I'm doing one specifically on visuals, and it, 
our visual, which is nine reasons to use visuals, the workshop is being designed around those nine reasons. And so that's it's kind of another marriage of I like um, presenting workshops. I love teaching adults. I teach our um, education assistant course here in our district in the evenings. And um, working with adults, I really, really love that. And so, again, that combination of here's a visual and here's a workshop built around that visual. And also, it's quite fun because people tend to like to leave with a, a visual reminder of what they've just learned. So it's, it's again, what we know about uh, what's good learning is is having those visual notes and uh, visual reminders. So, so those things are all kind of uh, moving forward together. And I think, um, yeah, somewhere in there will be where I spend the next years, <laughs> which actually now that I say it seems like maybe a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, and I'd love to write another children's book. Oh, there you so, go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that's going to fit in there. Again, that children's book actually was my final project for my master's degree, which I, I give a great big shout out for Vancouver Island University to for their flexibility. When I approached my supervisor with the idea, I thought for sure that the answer would be no, and I, that would be fine. But I, I'm a true believer, and it doesn't hurt to ask. And they said, sure, that's great. So I was focusing on mindfulness and self-regulation, and those are the themes in that book. And I tell you, I was really motivated to do the research behind that, and I probably one of the most involved students with their project going on, because that was several years ago, and I still continue to do work around um, using that picture book and going into schools and doing presentations around gratitude. So I, I, it's very exciting, and that was good fun and I'd love to do it again but I had the motivation of a master's degree to get me to that final product and I, I find that without those deadlines I don't tend to to get the next picture book done right right well I'm, it sounds like you're certainly busy enough <laughs> you have a lot of things going on <laughs> um, but um, I want to I want to thank Kristen Weens for being on the Think Inclusive podcast. You can find her um, on Twitter at, at KWIENS62. Uh, you can look up her on uh, at her website at NorthStarPass.com. Is there any other place, um, any other social media thing that you'd like to promote? Um, the videos are all on our YouTube channel, which is Long Story Shorts with a Z or Z, as you would say. Okay. Um, if they're wanting to just look at the videos, they're also on, on the North Star Path website as well. All right. Fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for the invitation. That is our show. We would like to thank Kirsten Weens for coming on the Think Inclusive podcast. Make sure to follow her on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, as well as on her website at northstarpaths.com. Follow Think Inclusive on the web at thinkinclusive.us, as well as Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and Instagram. Today's show was produced by myself, talking into USB headphones, a Zoom H1 handy recorder, MacBook Pro, GarageBand, and a Skype account. You can also subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Podomatic.com, the largest community of independent podcasters on the planet. 
From Marietta, Georgia, please join us again on the Think Inclusive Podcast. Thanks for your time and attention. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.